Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. He was tempted and tested in the wilderness. And remember I told you that in the wilderness tradition, he was retracing the fallen footsteps of Israel. He was, he was conquering where they failed. And so he, he gets baptized in the Jordan. He, uh, he uh, faces the enemy and overcomes him with the word of God. And now he leaves this place, and he had been there for 40 days and, uh, dealing with the devil. Go ahead, Jim, if you go to the next one. And here is where he heads. This is the northern part of Israel. The difference between the Judean wilderness towards Jerusalem and the south and the northern part of Israel is, is kind of shocking when you first see it, especially firsthand, because the difference is you're in total desert, and then you go to the northern part of Israel, and this is the famous sheet of water called the Sea of Galilee. Some writers have called this the holiest sheet of water that is on the planet. This is the, this is the place where much of Jesus' ministry took place, and the difference is stark, isn't it, from temptation and testing, and he, and he overcomes it into ministry. And I just want to make an application right here. Sometimes you go through a season of testing, and it seems like even longer than 40 days, but often that testing is preparing you for ministry. So you can experience being someone who's involved in the ministry. Uh, Jim, keep going if you would. So here's another view of this great sea, and it's about... It's also called a lake, but it's actually 12 miles long, and at its widest point, it's about seven miles wide. And this is, this is the prominent place where Jesus was ministering, and this is where he called the early apostles. He called them from a life of fishing. Look at verse 15 in your Bible. He was saying, here's what Jesus' preaching was. He said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. See the word time in verse 15? That's the word kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S in Greek. The equivalent in Hebrew is moed. We have a Greek word called chronos, and that's where we get chronological time. Kairos is like a special moment of time. The Hebrew equivalent is moed, M-O-E-D, and it speaks of something that is like a divine appointment. It's like it was on God's calendar. When the fullness of time came, God brought forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. The fullness of time had arrived. The Messiah was here. All the prophecy, all the discussion, John preaching you know, perhaps hundreds of thousands of people getting baptized in preparation to meet the Messiah. And now Jesus says, it is fulfilled. The time is here. The time is at hand. This is the prime time. This is the time when all that was written about Messiah is, notice, fulfilled. Jesus, out of his own lips, the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand because the king has come. And you really have a chance to live in one of two kingdoms. You can live in the kingdom of this world or you can live in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is now. It is the rule of God over the people of God. This is an expression of the kingdom of God right here. And one day it will be fulfilled when he will rule and reign from Jerusalem. 
and we will serve him and we will experience the beauty of a new Jerusalem and all that that means. And Jesus came and he said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And notice what he says next. He says, repent, verse 15, and believe in the gospel. Jesus was not only preaching the message, he was the message. He says, I'm here now. The king has arrived, and Jesus preached repentance. Right out of the gate. The word repentance in Greek is metanoia. It means to change your mind and change your actions. In the Hebrew language, it's the word shuv, S-H-U-V in English, and it literally could be translated to burn the house. And here's the, the picture in the Hebrew language. When an ancient army would go into a city that they wanted to devastate, they would win a war, they would take a bunch of captives, and then they would go to like a, the top of a hill, and they would burn the village that they had just destroyed to make sure that those prisoners of war knew that their village was destroyed and they had nothing to go back to. In the Hebrew language, shuv, burning the house, means once you decide to follow the king and his kingdom, you burn all the things that were of your old life. You don't leave something to go back to, and that's our problem, isn't it? We are tempted to go back. Israel was tempted to go back to Egypt, even though they had terrible slavery there. They just remembered the good food and you know, other things, and they had forgotten all that they had been uh, delivered from. And Jesus said, it's time to repent, and it's time to believe. Yes, Jesus preached repentance. Would you turn to Luke 17? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So just the next book to your right, Luke 17. Jesus is engaged in a conversation here about the kingdom. Luke 17, look at verse 20. Luke 17, 20. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, Luke 17, 20, Jesus answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's here now. And I just say to you, there are people who miss primetime opportunities in their lives. Sometimes the biggest moments in our lives we don't recognize. I often watch people at crossroad moments in their lives wrestle with God. I do memorial services in times when I'm preaching to people and I know someone's not saved and I know they have decided despite the weight of evidence but despite their own clock ticking on their mortality not to follow Jesus Christ. And I don't understand it. And I often see it happen in a person who says they believe. They're not some outspoken atheists. They say they believe, but they let moments pass them by. If you believe that this gospel is true, if you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, if you believe that eternity is at stake, what are you doing with that? I ask you, who are you truly following? Jesus' command. Somebody 
compared uh, when Jesus is about to make this command as a military command. He's not just making a suggestion. He's saying this is life. This is the critical moment of time. You've got to decide. Now, many of us can look back to a moment of time when we decided, right? By God's grace, he called us and we said, Lord, here I am with all my baggage, all my problems. That's where it starts. You got to decide if you want to follow him. And he will lead you to still waters and green pastures, and he'll also lead you to difficult challenges at times because your life will be being lived for something that is substantive, something that will last. In fact, we can see that there's a war going on, war for souls and ideas. And, and so Jesus comes out and he says, look, this is it. The kingdom of God is in your midst. He said to the disciples, 22, Luke 17, the day shall come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, look here. Do not go away. Do not run after them. For just as the lightning when it flashes out of one part of the sky shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, at his first coming, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying and selling. They were planting and they were building. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom and it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all, it will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. Jesus talks about the kingdom of God and then he talks about his first and second coming. And he's talking about time here. God has fixed a day when he will judge the world in righteousness. He's given evidence of this by raising Jesus Christ from the dead, and there's going to be a time when Jesus comes again, and the kingdom of God will be fulfilled. And we're, you know, how long has it been now? It's been almost, what, 2,000 years and there's another time coming, another Kairos time. That time has been fixed. It's on God's calendar. He knows the day that it is going to arrive. And Jesus says, when that day comes, there's going to be people who ignore it. They'll ignore the signs just like they did in the days of Noah and just like they did in the days of Lot. So Jesus says, it's time to repent. It's time to believe the gospel. You know that in Luke 15, just a few chapters back, go there if you would, Jesus tells the famous three parables and uh, he's talking about God's heart for the lost. And he says two times in here that there's parties in heaven when one sinner repents. Look at Luke 15, 7. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then look at verse um, 10, Luke 15. In the same way, Jesus telling the story, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Sometimes people say, well, isn't repentance a bit of a harsh 
message. No, repentance is simply do a 180, change your course. You've been following something else. Now Jesus says, follow me. Whose voice will you trust? Whose steps will you follow? That is the question. And Jesus is the answer. You are listening to Living Truth Radio with Pastor Michael Lance. I'm Mike Massaro, and I know what you're thinking. Wait, why are you interrupting Pastor Michael's sermon? Well, I have a good reason. Since Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported program, it relies on donations from people just like you to stay on the air. And trust me, you can't always assume that someone else is going to be the one doing the donating. So if God has blessed you through our ministry, we'd encourage you to go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the donate button. Let's face it, the way the world's going these days, we need all the solid teaching we can get. So partner with us today. That's livingtruthradio.org. Now, back to Pastor Michael. In the Gospel of Matthew, uh, if you go there, Matthew chapter 4, we have another parallel account of Jesus coming out of the wilderness of temptation into the sea of ministry. And here, Matthew records in chapter 4 these words. Jesus said to him, to Satan, Matthew 4.10, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Matthew 4.12. Now when he heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Matthew 4.14. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. Those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The essence of Jesus' call is to come out of darkness and into light. Two kingdoms. One kingdom is a kingdom of darkness. One is a kingdom of light. And Jesus comes on the scene and he is the light of the world. And he begins to preach to people and he's saying, repent because I want you to come into the light. I want to bring rescue. This land had been in darkness and oppression. And Jesus came as a light to the world. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me won't remain in darkness he will have the light of life. Mark 1, if you go back there, verse 16. And as he was going along, so Jesus is the herald. He's preaching the kingdom of God. He's telling people to turn and follow him. As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, Mark 1, 16, he saw Simon, whom he would rename Peter, and Andrew, that was his brother, the brother of Simon, and they were casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. So Jesus is going along the Sea of Galilee. We've had the whole scene by the Jordan River. We know Peter and his brother Andrew have had exposure to the Messiah, and now they are fishing. And maybe as they were fishing, they were talking about Jesus. Maybe they were saying, what do you think? What level of commitment do you think we'd like to have with Jesus? Would it be cool to leave everything and follow him? I don't know, one of the brothers might say. It's pretty risky. 
We've got all our life and business here. And then can you imagine Jesus showing up when you're doing your work or you, whatever your task is, whatever you're interested in? Some of you are fishermen. If Jesus were to call me from fishing, I would have absolutely no problem personally because <laughs> I never catch anything. But that's another story. Here's these two men. We know their names. They're among the apostles. And Jesus said to them, Mark 1.17, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, I know you're in the fishing business, boys, and I know the Sea of Galilee is important to you, but if you follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. You're going to catch something much more important, something that will change people's lives. Ernst Lohmeyer calls this a sharp military command. And I ask the question, could there, be a, could there have been a measure of hesitancy? Could this be an early example of them going back fishing like Peter did at the end of his life? And now Jesus calls. There, this is not the first introduction. There's been some time to ponder. There's been some time to consider. And now Jesus calls them. He says, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Just a side note, I was reading in William Lane's commentary that the idea of uh, fishing and that uh, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men is actually not something that is necessarily new. In fact, it is rooted in the Old Testament. There are scriptures, here's one, Ezekiel 20, uh, I think it's 28 and then 38.4 where it says, I will put a hook in their mouth. There's, there's Old Testament scriptures that use fishing imagery for the last day's judgment. And there are some scholars that believe that when Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, he's saying, he's tying it to the time fulfilled, to the kingdom of God and the moment of decision. It's a time of both judgment and grace. It's a time to decide where you're going to head and what you're going to do with this one who is called Jesus. This account is focused on Jesus, but it's also focused on people that he touched. He said, follow me. Look at verse 17. And I will make you become fishers of men. When you get called by Jesus, he makes you become something. Sounds like a process, doesn't it? It is. Isn't that good news? It's a process. And we're going to see that in the life of these apostles, the call, the summons, it would, it would be one thing to immediately leave your nets and follow. It's another thing to be consistent in that call. Verse 18 says, they immediately left their nets and followed him. If you want the scriptures about the Old Testament, God is the fisher of men, Jeremiah 16, 16, Ezekiel 29, 4, and 38, 4. Amos 4.2 and Habakkuk 1.14 through 17. You didn't catch that. Go back and listen to it on the internet. Lane says, The summons to be fishers of men is a call to the eschatological task of gathering men in view of the forthcoming judgment of God. It extends the demand for repentance in Jesus' preaching. Precisely because Jesus has come fishing, it becomes necessary. In other words... This is a poignant time. In fact, for Israel, in about 
40 years from the time he calls these men, Israel will fall, Jerusalem, in fact, will fall what? To the ground. See, the clock was already ticking. Jesus knew what was going to happen. It was decision time. And you and I have to decide as well. Who are you going to follow? And where are they going to lead you? Well, it's impressive that they immediately left the nets and followed him. If you look over at Luke 5, we see a scene in the Gospel of Luke that is a poignant one. It's, it happens, uh, the focus is Peter, Luke 5, verse 1. This is a great act of obedience, no hesitation. They follow. But let's look at what happens now. There's still some ministry around fishing in the lake. Now it came about, Luke 5, verse 1, that while the multitude were pressing around Jesus and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is another term for the Sea of Galilee. He saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, Luke 5, 3, which was Simon's, that's Peter, and he asked him to put out a little way from the land, and he sat down and began teaching the multitudes from the boat. This is a makeshift pulpit, but it's pretty cool. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but at your bidding, I will let down the nets. When he had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them, and they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish, fish which they had taken. And so also James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon, and Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. It seems to me that there's a progressive, there's a process here. There's a recognition. Do you know how sometimes people excitedly out of the gate say, I will follow, okay, I'll do it. And they walk down the aisle or they walk it forward at a crusade and then they realize, man, I've got a lot of baggage and a lot of things that the Lord has to clean up in my life and the Lord does a miracle in your life. He does something that may, maybe shocks you in an area where you're, you have some expertise and you just want to fall on your knees and say, Lord, are you sure that you've got the right guy? Lord, I'm a sinful man. I think we've all had those moments. I've had many moments in my life where God was giving me a place to speak and I looked at myself in light of who he is and in light of his power and his majesty and I said, Lord, are you sure you want to hang around me? I'm a sinful man. I try, I want to do my best, I try to rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit, but knowing who you are and who I am, how could you stick around with me? Jesus says, don't be afraid, Peter. I'm going to make you into something. You're going to become a fisher of men. When the book of Acts unfolds, you know who the main voice of the first 11 chapters of the book of Acts is? Peter. Peter. 
And he's preaching, and on the day of Pentecost, without a megaphone, he preaches the gospel, and 3,000 people trampled their way to Calvary. You want to talk about a big catch? There you go. Jesus is true to his word. He knew what he was getting with Peter, and he knew what he was getting with you. Yeah. He knows everything. You don't have to fill him in on current events, on your shortcomings. He knows. Now, he wants you to improve, no doubt. But it's still a process. And I believe you're going to become better at becoming a fisher of men as you follow him more closely. And so following Jesus was a process for the apostles, and it will be for us as well. Jesus Christ in the gospel not only died as though he committed our sins, not only defeated death as radical as that is and rose from the dead, which he promised, but his perfect life is credited to us as well. And in this wilderness tradition where he succeeds, where we fail, the perfect righteousness of Christ is imputed to our account. This is what Romans 4 is about and other places. And by imputation of his perfection, we are seen as perfect before God. So it includes his fulfilling the law, perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his triumphant resurrection. And that good news of Jesus uh, given to us simply by faith is why we celebrate every day our champion, our hero, Jesus. So when you mention the term, the law, is that the Ten Commandments that the wilderness and the children of Israel had received in the wilderness that they found out that they couldn't even fulfill themselves? Yeah, if you think about the law, the law is Torah, right? It's the instruction. And um, Torah literally means to hit the mark. And we miss the mark all the time. And the Ten Commandments, theologians would say codify the 613 commandments and subcommandments. So if you want to boil down the 613, take the 10 and you got the essence of the 613. And look, we got enough problems with the 10, right? <laughs> the, those 10 commandments who that kind of codify the law mm-hmm. show us they've become a tutor to drive us to Jesus. And so we can uh, we can walk into the promises through Jesus Christ where we fail, we can't achieve the promises on our own. He, Jesus, our Joshua, if you will, brings us into the promised land. And that's that's the glory of it. So I'm sure our listeners, if they're even going through the wilderness period right now, they should know that they are not alone. Just remember that God is with them as long as they stay near to God. Well, that's the key, Oscar. And the key is, you know, as we're all learning together, I think in the Christian life is it's dependence on the finished work of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit. Hey, listen, family, we have some exciting news. And we do have something exciting going on. We are going through a name change for our radio broadcast, and we're going to shift the name from Living Truth Radio to Walk in Truth. And Walk in Truth is a name that I think helps capture the heartbeat of this ministry, help people to walk out the truth, to live out the truth, to walk by faith and not by sight. So we're going to stay the same. We're going to change from Living Truth Radio to Walk in Truth. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. 
You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.